When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody. Welcome to it. Charlie Arnold here. It is Wednesday. It is a rainy Wednesday. I woke up feeling like my head weighed 1,000 pounds. I still feel like my head weighs 1,000 pounds, but maybe just because I have so much intelligence that I need to pour out throughout the course of the show. Or maybe I'm experiencing the onset of a sinus infection. I'm not exactly sure, but here to help me figure it out, we're gonna bring him in right off the top because he will help me get to the bottom of whatever it is that I'm going through. We have the host of Don't At Me, my good friend, my Indianapolis comrade, Dan Dockage. Hello, how are you this morning? Well, Indiana won. The Center for Indiana trolled me after the game, so I figure I'll support Indiana basketball today. Let's go. Yay, Rod. Go fight, win. <laughs> um, I'm actually excited. I am heading back to Indy this upcoming week. I am going to the final game of the regular season with my dad. Uh, so I'm excited. My first trip to Bloomington in, gosh, probably a couple of years at this point. Well, for those of you that don't know, when Charlie shows up in Indianapolis, it's private jets, limousine, bottle service, <laughs> paparazzi everywhere. TMZ sends a private plane with uh, all of the greats, and it is on. And young boys squeal, old men, uh, their tongues come out. It's just unbelievable what happens when Charlie shows up in the great state of Indiana. It's incredible. It's unbelievable. Yeah. I may, maybe like you notice things that I don't notice because I, I I feel like the red carpet isn't rolled out as such when I return home. But maybe people have come to their senses, and I'll experience it more this time around. Dan, how is it in Indianapolis right now with the combine going on? I just got a text from one of my friends last night who was there in town, and he said the weather is absolutely perfect. Well, except for last night, we had a monster storm. The combine is two oh. things. There's the football and there's the there's the watching and there's the interviews and then there's the nightlife, baby. And there used to be a bar downtown called Ike and Jonesy's and it was legendary. Every NFL guy would slip off that wedding ring and hit Ike and Jonesy's, baby. And next <laughs> thing you know, it was on. Ike and Jonesy's has since closed, so St. Elmo's is the hot spot. But now it's good, you know. Um, one of the things that Indy does, as you know, is we, we put on events pretty good, and everything is so connected between the convention center and, Luke, and Lucas Oil and the hotels that really, even if it would storm, they don't have to go outside. But uh, a lot of buzz about what the Bears are going to do. I think a lot of buzz about the quarterbacks, whether it's Drake May, Caleb <clears throat> Williams, you know, J.J. McCarthy. A lot of buzz about all that stuff. Yeah, there's a lot of buzz about a lot of things. Uh, one NFL topic I wanted to touch on with you, uh, because I know it's being kind of kicked around uh, in Indianapolis this week, is the idea of getting rid of the kickoff or traditional kickoff in the NFL. Uh, what's your opinion on that? I feel like there's been so many rearrangements to the game, and I understand some of them, but I also feel like sometimes you should just leave things the way they are. Uh, 
one play that's not the most exciting in the world all the time uh, isn't going to kill anybody. I don't know. I, I appreciate the traditional kickoff. Uh, are they going to return the ball? Are they going to call a fair catch? I don't know. I don't have a problem with them calling fair catch majority of the time either. That doesn't bother me. What about you? doesn't bother me at all. In fact, I would argue, and it doesn't happen very often now, I would argue the kickoff return for a touchdown is the most exciting play in football. I've, I've always it thought is. that. You know, everybody, yeah, everybody has their own opinions on it. Everybody, you know, whatever your opinion is on the most exciting play. But for me personally, it's the most exciting play. And really when it happens, and it, and it really doesn't happen, I don't have the numbers in front of me, Charlie, but it doesn't happen very, very often because they moved it up, ball goes out. But the truth of the matter is, the NFL has made so many changes to the game of late, and it doesn't hurt the product. Like, we'll watch the NFL if it's, I don't know, kickoffs, no kickoff. But I would like to see them not mess with it. I would like to see them keep it. Guys running down the court, it kind of, Charlie, it kind of sets the tone for the game. You know what I mean? It just kind of sets. Yes. The kickoff sets us. You know what I mean? And anything other than that, start the ball wherever. I, I need structure. I need rails. I need organization. And since I started watching football 372 years ago, that's my organization. That's my structure. I totally agree with you. And I think I used that exact same term when I was just talking about the, the uh, kickoff return before the show started. I was like, it, it, you said it sets the tone. That's what I said. I'm like, it's like a reset, right? For each time a team takes over possession, it's like, Okay, let's see what you got. And it, it gives you like kind of a little bit of a moment, even if it's not something so sensational, to just breathe and get ready for what's coming next. Right. No, I agree. That's exactly right. And so, you know, whatever you want to do, I, I, that's fine. And I know everything is involving uh, player safety and everybody says, look, we're going to run down the field and, you know, bash the hell out of each other. And back in the day, it was a problem. But... I, I feel like the way it's set up now, it's not. I just, I mean, but I don't have to play. I, I get it. And I also feel it just, there's a drama to it. You know, the home team, if you're kicking off, you kind of, everybody stands up. I don't know. Look, a lot smarter people than me make decisions in the NFL. And most times they turn out to be right. So I defer to them. But to me, it just sets the tone. Some people think it's ceremonial. I don't think it's ceremonial. I just think it sets the tone for the game, and away <laughs> we go. Much. Yeah, well, you know, you mentioned that there are people smarter than you, perhaps, Dan, in the world of football, but in the world of basketball, you're known to be one of the greats. We're not going to take that away from you this morning. Uh, legendary coach, uh, you have a lot of common sense and wisdom that you still carry with you throughout your years post coaching career, uh, one of which struck me as interesting because you have been drawing a lot of attention to the way that the Indiana basketball team is going about their season. Uh, obviously, for the most part, a, a extreme disappointment this year, uh, but something they have been putting a lot of focus on despite not being able to follow through with their ambitions on the court is what they've been doing on social media, pre-game, post-game, during practice, posting all the time, sensationalizing the season, you know, getting on the jets, wearing the fancy shoes, the different <laughs> angles. Dan, you have been all over this and you are not happy about it. Talk to me. Well, you know what? Indiana started a couple years ago. I Indiana is supposed to be different. 
It's a, I'm sorry. Now, I get you know some of those videos are done by the school, but Indiana basketball hasn't been very good since Bob Knight left. I mean, had one really good year, two okay years in 23 years. And I was there 17 years. And the thing I've always said is Indiana is supposed to be about toughness. It's supposed to be different. A couple of years ago, Indiana wins a game in the NCAA tournament, first four, meaning they were one of the last teams in. And they got to go out. And now these guys are making little TikTok videos. And I'm like, wait a second. How about you just get ready for the next game? And then, and then, and it's no big deal to most people. It isn't. And I get it. I totally do. But I sit there and I go, wait a second. Indiana is supposed to be about toughness, not little TikTok videos where guys are dancing and they're acting like, actually, truthfully, uh, they're acting like, uh, I don't know, guys and gals cheerleading squad as opposed to tough basketball players, and it drives me nuts. Like, I know I'm wrong. You understand this? I know I'm wrong. But Indiana hasn't been worth a damn since they fired Bob Knight in 2000, and all this little fluff crap comes in. And everybody's mad at me. The kid scored like 25 last night, a Khalil Ware for IU, and he's trolling me on Twitter because I said instead of spending thousands of dollars on new tattoos, how about you get your ass in the weight room? How about you get your ass in the practice, learn to shoot free throws? So he's trolling me. But Indiana's not going to make the tournament. They've had a crap year, so some bad player that has a good night trolling me doesn't matter. Indiana's supposed to be about toughness, Charlie. And right now it's about little TikTok videos in Brandon. It drives an old fart like me nuts. Boom. So I'm going to ask you a general, I'm going to ask you a, a general question. Do you feel like social media is destroying college sports? I think social, I think it's really hard to play in the current environment. My son played at Michigan and Ohio State. Only guy ever to transfer and play for both schools. And he played a lot his last year at Michigan and his first and his only year at Ohio State. And I told him, if you're going to get on social media, you're really stupid. And I can't claim you as my son. That's how stupid you are. And he, because he's a little white dude. It's great. <laughs> I can't claim him. He's got to go elsewhere, Charlie. Because he's a little white dude. And I experienced this in Indiana. White dude, on campus, unathletic, everybody thinks they're better than them. The white guys, the black guy, everybody thinks they're better and you shouldn't be there and there's jealousy. So don't get on. Bigger problem, parents get on. This goes back, I don't know, when I, when I was at Indiana in 08 into 09, <clears throat> a mom got on social media at IU. She was the big hero. Her son stunk. She was no longer the big hero. He had to transfer, and I've told parents forever, don't get on social media. Don't engage. Wait, because so ta- if wait, you talk engage, to me about that story. You, what, what's that? You said, so what? What exactly happened? So the the mother got on social media and so what, she was like a promoting mother, her son and being like pretty. No, obnoxious. a mother. So what happened? A mother. A mother named uh, of, of a kid named Bobby Capabianco, really nice lady, and Bobby was a nice player. The mom got on social media. She was on message boards. She was on Twitter. Oh, how are you guys doing today? Boy, it's such a great night. She was just on it. The season starts. Bobby not playing well. And I got to tell you, Charlie, fans can be vicious, man. Fans can be Mm -hmm. rough. All of a sudden, she went from, boy, we love having Bobby's mommy on here, to, hey, Bobby's mommy, why don't you get your kid in shape? You know, all that kind of stuff. 
And I've told parents, and I've watched this. Charlie, I have watched this for how, what since 09. So whatever, how many years it is, 14 years or 010, 13 years. Every time, at least in Indiana, a parent gets on social media, bad things happen. I was a parent. I stayed off. I didn't talk about my son. I told my son don't talk. And it's the best thing you can possibly do because you can't win. The only way you can win is if you go undefeated and you win a national championship, and that hasn't happened since 1976. So you can't win. So just stay off. Let people rip. Don't worry about it. Keep moving forward. Keep your feet moving. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, this brings me to a very appropriate pivot. Uh, Dan, when you played for Indiana – you didn't have social media, and you were out there doing some pretty big things, I hear. I actually just had a story about you slide across my desk this morning, and I'm very impressed with you, I will say. I didn't realize that you, sir, once guarded Michael Jordan and did a pretty damn good job, if I hear correctly. Well, we kicked his ass is what we did, Charlie, and... uh <laughs> You know, it's kind of funny. We beat him. Jordan had nine. I always tell people he had 13 in the game, but only nine against this guy because I fouled out and he fouled out. Charlie, the bigger story is this. I beat him out of $6,000 playing golf that summer. It was 1984. It was the day he, he signed his Nike deal. Myself, him, two other guys went and played golf. Uh, there, I'm forcing him to the baseline in true Bob Knight uh, fashion. Um, but I pay, he, he owed me six grand from a golf game. He tried to pay me in plain pocket jeans and Polaroid cameras that he got for free no. from uh, the U.S. Olympic Committee. But, uh, yeah, basically, I've made Michael Jordan my bitch my whole life, Charlie. That's just what I do. Okay, Look at that so- hair, though. Tell me, Charlie, yeah. you can see why let, the sorority girls were always flocking around hair. Double D. Look, you got to show. Let's see the hair. I'm telling you, I. You know what? I had to get a damn. I had to go in hiding. I had so many women just hanging around the. Look at that hair. Come on. Jordan and I both had hair there. It's pretty good. Okay, so I have I have many questions. A, when did when did the hair decide it no longer wanted to be on your head? When did that happen? <laughs> It started, that was 84. It came quick, Charlie. By about 88, I was like, huh, how am I going to hide this? Uh, it came quick. And you know what? It, it, that's traumatic for a guy. Like, I tried everything. I saw late-night commercials. I was, I was ordering stuff from Belgium, coming into my house, rubbing it on my head. I, that's very hurtful to a young man to all of a sudden go, huh, I got to start parting it this way with the big swoosh going <laughs> yeah. to hide some stuff going on here. But it all, Charlie, COVID, my back porch, three bottles of wine, my stepson had a, had a razor, and it all went away. We just went, you know what, we came home. We came home with that, Charlie. I, I totally understand. You got to do what you got to do. Uh, you look great, though. I always tell you that. You've got the shiniest head in the game, and it's something you should be proud of. But <laughs> Also, I want to get back to the game in which you were guarding Michael Jordan. I also heard that it was a flu game for you. You know, we always talk about Michael Jordan's flu game, but you actually entered into that game feeling under the weather. You didn't want to tell anybody about it, I hear. And then you went on to have a tremendous performance. So talk me through what happened. I mean, was that nerve-wracking also to know that you were responsible for guarding Michael Jordan? 
Charlie, honest to God, man, our pregame meal, about three, three and a half hours before the game, I didn't know if I was starting. I knew I was sick as hell. Didn't tell anybody. And, uh, you know, Knight said, you're guarding Michael Jordan. And I'm like, all right, okay, I'll kick his ass. You know what I mean? That's who. I, that's what I do. And uh, I go up to my hotel room, and I started thinking about it, Charlie. I'm like, man, I'm going to guard Michael Jordan on national TV. I got all my boys back in Gary, Indiana, going to be watching on Channel 2 in Chicago. But you know what? And I opened up, and I got sick. Like, literally, I opened up the hotel room door, and luckily for me, there was, like, right in front of me were a mirrored closet, and then around was the hotel room, and, I mean, I just puked all over the floor. I was, like, everything I'd just eaten at the pregame meal, and I was supposed to be the tough guy on the team and the captain. I couldn't let my roommate see that I'm puking before a big game, right? So I cleaned it up, and, I mean... It was just – and I puked on the bench. I didn't let Coach Knight see. I puked on the bench uh, in the first half, and then when I fouled out, I put a towel over my head, and I asked this big security guard for a bucket, and uh, I'm just puking into this bucket and uh, with the towel, and I'm peeking at the game, looking over, you know, cheering. But, uh, you know, I can beat Michael Jordan's ass whether I'm healthy, unhealthy. You know how we do, Charlie. That's just, how, that's just what people like you and I do. We just rise to occasions, Charlie. That's what we do. Okay, so since that game, uh, shutting down Michael Jordan, and, and, and then I want to also touch on the, the golf uh, winnings that he tried to repay you in Polaroids, <laughs> and I don't even remember what the other thing was. Uh, have you had any type of relationship since with Michael Jordan? Like, is there any type of communication that has taken place at any point throughout the year since? Yeah. Uh, in 1993, his agent was trying to uh, sign a couple of our players, Calbert Chaney, uh, who was the National Player of the Year. So my brother was the liaison at Indiana Basketball between agents and players for Coach Knight, and they invited oh, us, my brother and I, yeah, they invited us to a um, a playoff game in Chicago Stadium, Bulls against uh, New York Knicks. So we went, and the game's over, and I'm going into the Knicks locker room to see one of our former players, uh, Eric Anderson, and, and the agent comes up to my brother and I and says, hey, man, Michael invited you guys to his restaurant if you want to grab a bite to eat. And what are we going to say? Like, yeah, of course, hell yeah, we're in. Sign so me up. Uh, it. Yeah, anyway, game's over, we go visit whatever, and we go to the restaurant, and we go in this upstairs, back, boom, 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 and there's Michael at the head of the table, a bunch of people at a table, we walk in, there's kids, there's, it's a big room, and my brother's a lawyer, he don't care, he just goes back, sits down, makes himself at home, I'm, I'm I, people don't believe this, but I'm very shy in public settings, and I'm kind of sheepish, and Jordan made me feel that right at home, and <laughs> go ahead. I'm sorry, I, I don't buy it. You sheepish in public settings, you're shy? Dan Dockich is shy? Very. Oh, very, wow, very. When I go to a party. I never thought I would hear this morning. <laughs> <laughs> very much so. Very. Like, afraid, my whole life, afraid of girls, stand in the corner at parties, never dan. I mean, just, you know, just a typical dork. And long story short, the dinner was great. We were there for a while. I'm walking out, and Jordan yells at me and asks me if that covers the six grand he owes me. He goes, hey, Doc, does that cover the money I owe you from golf? And I'm like, no, because I used to write him a letter every year, Charlie, 
Um, I got his home address from a friend of mine who built his house, and I did a basketball camp in Gary, Indiana. So I used to write him a letter, same letter every year, yo, MJ, uh, you owe me six grand golf, whatever. Uh, come to my basketball camp for five minutes. We'll play golf after. The debt is off, you know, that kind of thing. And uh, never showed, never heard back from him. But he said, will you stop writing me those letters? And I go, no, you owe me six grand. And I walked <laughs> out. So I told you, Michael Jordan's my bitch. Oh, my God, that's <laughs> fantastic. I love that story. Um, okay, well, at least you got maybe a little part of the debt repaid, but you're still waiting for that check to clear. Uh, I'm not sure at yeah. this rate you're going to get it. Uh, but that's interesting. So no. a few things. One, you said your brother worked as the liaison between the uh, agents and the players in, at the school. Is that, I didn't realize your brother was also involved in the basketball world. No, my brother is a uh, lawyer. My brother is a guy who, oh. we grew up in Gary, Indiana. And right now my brother's basically uh well, I mean, he he's very very smart. He's 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 the smart, good-looking one in the family, and he uh, he builds data centers, he builds hotels, redoes downtowns, raises millions and millions of dollars. He's 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 saving Northwest Indiana, uh, and he's brilliant and smart. And uh, as he says, he he's the handsome one. Okay, uh, interesting. Well, something else I wanted to ask you about, because I feel like you might have an opinion. Uh, this gets back to Michael Jordan. Did you, were you aware? I mean, it's, I think they've been dating for over a year now, but Michael Jordan's son, Marcus Jordan, is dating <laughs> Scottie Pippen's ex-wife, Larsa. Did you, did you, were you aware of that? Okay, I, I, from what I understand, they recently broke up. A lot of people think it's just for headlines because I think she is, or they're releasing a podcast. There's something for some reason that people have some type of a mindset that this could be for publicity purposes. But regardless, what is your, what is your, what are your thoughts on the fact that Michael Jordan's son, who is, I want to say <laughs> at least 10 years younger than Scottie Pippen's ex-wife and, and, and Larsa are or were dating. It is bizarre to me. I recruited Marcus. I recruited Marcus and his other brother to try to come to Bowling Green. So I, I don't know him. But when I heard that, I thought, all right, that's like an onion. You know, the onion or, or the Babylon Bee, that kind of thing. Like Michael Jordan's son yes. is uh, – that's one of the oddest things that I've seen. It, it, it truly is. And I'm happy for both. Love is love. Great for them. Yay, Rod, go fight, win. But it is truly one of the oddest things that I've ever seen. It's almost like this, Charlie. If you were watching a movie and somebody put that on the screen and said that's what is going to happen – you would look, and I would look, and we'd go, okay, now that's not happening. Now that's just too stupid, you know, for even a movie. Like, reasonable people would look around and go, yeah, that's that, nah. -uh. But it is. And what do they always say? Uh, real life is more interesting than the movies or whatever. I don't know the right saying. But if you were going to say to me, Michael Jordan's son, Marcus, is going to be dating Larsa Pippen, Scotty's wife, 10 years after, however many after they all retired. I would have put anything you want on that because I remember Marcus as a skinny kid trying to be a basketball player. And, I, and at the same time, Larsa Pippen was running around with Scotty Pippen and they were the you know power couple of the world or whatever. So I got to tell you, that's one of the weirdest things, but good for him. And, you know, I mean, we've all seen – what was it, Stifler's mother? So maybe that's like a goal of most young guys. I don't know. 
<laughs> I don't maybe, know. maybe. Although I've also heard the other side of the argument that men want the younger women, right? There's always the stories you hear of, of men eventually leaving their wives for the younger woman. So I don't know, maybe it goes in both directions. But if you look at it as a man, who's winning in the situation? Is it Michael Jordan because his son... Oh. managed to pull Scottie Pippen's ex-wife. You know, there, we know there's a little bit of animosity maybe still lingering between the two. Or does Scottie Pippen feel like he has the upper hand because he's like, oh, MJ's son has my leftovers. Like, which side do you think <laughs> has more of like the, I guess, higher ego in this situation? Well, I would imagine both of them have pretty good egos. And I would imagine Michael Jordan because Michael's going to say what you just said. Damn, man, your wife went from you to my son? Like, what are you doing? But there is the famous story, of course, that Madonna was having the sex with Scottie Pippen and Michael Jordan, you can look this story up, Michael Jordan (laughs) was hitting on Madonna hard. I mean, Michael Jordan was trying hard to get with Madonna and Madonna said, no, 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 no. Scotty is too good. You get away. And Michael Jordan got shut down by Madonna. That is a famous story that is public. I'm not making stuff up. That is a public yeah. story. So Scotty Pippen has the shun because of his greatness with Madonna that Madonna told the great Michael Jordan, no, 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 no. I stay with Scotty. Yeah. You wow. come to me, baby. You get TMZ light right here. You get, I got this, all this the dirt. What great. else you need to know? <laughs> I, there's a lot that I need to know. I also need to know how you feel about Madonna these days because the stuff, I had to unfollow her because it was so disturbing. Have you seen the photos that she's put up in the past year? I mean, she's had so much work done uh, to her face, to her body. Uh, and the way that she represents herself is very, very disturbing, Dan, I must say. You know, there, there is something about aging gracefully and moving in to, like, elderly status, iconic status. I think people think of Meryl Streep when they think of somebody that has moved into, you know, maybe even Richard Gere that has moved into kind of an iconic, and that's a good place to be. That is. And, but it ain't Madonna. You know, I, I saw her falling. I saw her holding on to a bar. I mean, she could be the icon of music. She could be the grand dame or whatever you want to. Still could be beautiful. Still could be vibrant. Still, But all of a sudden, you do all this stuff to just try to stay young. And, you know, Father Time's a mother, Charlie. I mean, Father Time don't mess around. Mother Nature ain't screwing around. So, you know, it, it's like it, it's like I used to – I used to think that my former coach, Bob Knight, should move into, you know, just iconic status. And he never won. Madonna, baby, you know, we got eyes we can see. Just move into iconic status. Be the advisor. You know, Dolly Parton, right? Dolly Parton has never been more popular, probably. Yeah. She just keeps and it she classy. Fantastic. Keeps it. Right. Right. And, and that's what Madonna should have been because whatever people think about Madonna, I mean, uh, in the 80s, 90s, Madonna was big, really big. And she could have oh, moved yeah. right into that. And instead, she's, she's got a bad plastic surgeon is what the hell she's got.
Uh, yeah, she's a plastic surgeon who doesn't know how to tell her no, uh, which is a real problem, uh, I could imagine. Uh, I just want to throw it out there for everybody that you talk about the popularity of Madonna. I, when I was in, I think I was in kindergarten, or no, I think I was in pre-kindergarten, I did a jazz routine to Madonna's Material Girl. So Very nice. You know. Very nice. Yeah. You have video? Yes, yes. Uh, probably. I think there is video that exists. At least there's photos. So maybe I'll, I'll dig those up when I'm home in Indianapolis. Because my mother, literally, I mean, I don't know if moms still operate on the same wav wavelength, but my mom took pictures of every single moment of every single occasion. She had the camcorder out and she always joked. She's like, people probably think I didn't exist because I was never in the videos because I was always taking them of you and your dad and everybody else. So... You know, as far as uh, the videos portray, my mother did not exist. But yeah, I'm sure that there's some video evidence of the material girl, material girl performance. So I will uh, dig that out of the archives. Now, one last thing, Dan, before I let you go, I want to hit one last sports topic. Uh, Kirk Herbstreet recently made some comments that the college football world needed a commissioner because it would do some good for, you know, all of the issues that we're having with the NIL portal. So let's take a listen to what he had to say and we'll react. You take the Big Ten, whoever it's going to be, it's like 60 teams. If it's the Big Ten and it's the SEC and the ACC and the Big 12 and whoever else, I think, that, I, I think they should go form their own world, create their own governing body, get one voice, one commissioner, instead of everybody having to get an agreement where these guys don't always feel comfortable with each other, Get one voice. You imagine the NFL if they had nine commissioners for each division or whatever it would be. I mean, there's a commissioner of the AFC South. There's a commissioner of the NFC North. And they'd all have to agree on stuff. No, no, all these guys care about is their own map. Greg Sankey's concerned about the SEC. You know, Tony's worried about the Big Ten. Jim's worried about the ACC. And around and around we go. And so we need one voice. So I would pull out away from the NCAA, create my own governing body. I would partner with the players. I think you have to go through things like NIL and make some realistic changes in NIL. This is ridiculous. You got to talk about the transfer portal. You got to make that more accommodating to the players and the coaches where you have more, more staying uh, power for a program. This, this is ridiculous right now. Players, they just leave whenever they want to leave. You, you can't do that. So we need rules around that. And then you're going to eventually probably have revenue sharing. I mean, you're going to probably have to all this money that's being thrown into this world you're going to have to share that. So you, you partner with a player's union or an entity of some kind, and then you enforce rules. So obviously, Dan, that was from your show. Big, big pull for a guest there. So props to you. Um, you had a lot to say about it on your show. I know you feel strongly about this issue. A lot of people do. Even Nick Saban recently came out and started talking about the dangers of NIL and what it was doing to the landscape of college football. But reiterate your thoughts. Uh, what do you think a commissioner could do and how it could help college football in terms of NIL? Well, you know what? I'm not sure how it can help in terms of NIL, but I think it would help with structure. And I think Herbie's absolutely right. Here's what's happening in college football. It feels like, and a lot of people think, there's going to end up being two conferences, the Big Ten and the SEC, and however they want to call it. And you know what? Uh, if you've got the Big Ten and you've got a Big Ten commissioner, obviously they're going to be concerned about the Big Ten. The SEC, same thing. But who is concerned about the overall league? You know, if the NFL, when the NFL 
gets going. They they have thirty two teams. They they're not all separate entities, but they well they are separate entities, but under one roof. You can say well it's under the NCAA, but people that know know. The, the NCAA doesn't control the college football playoff. I think Herb Street is absolutely right. I think you need somebody that has a sports background but is also a lawyer. You know, I don't know who that is exactly to come in, oversee it, and it's remember this. When you when you do something like get a commissioner, you don't just have one guy. You've got layers to it. Here's the commissioner, here are the different uh, liaisons, representatives. And I think that's where we're headed. I really do. Because you're going to see two things possibly come up, Charlie. You're going to see the NCAA college basketball tournament have a different structure with more teams involved. You're going to see college football. Eventually, these guys are going to break away if they haven't already. And a commissioner in both would be huge. I would love to see a commissioner in college basketball. But what I would love to see more than any of that is I would love to see whether it's through Congress or through just negotiation, I would like to see some guardrails for the things that Herbie is talking about. Guardrails for NIL, not pay for play like we have. Now, NIL means name, mm-hmm. image, likeness. Not, hey, Charlie, I'm going to give you $200,000 to come play for my school. That should not have. And the transfer portal is ridiculous, and it's not good for kids. I'd like to see some guardrails. And if it takes a commissioner to get that, then get a commissioner in there and do it as quick as you can. Because the NCAA, look, here's what happens with the NCAA. They used to be the governing body, but they always lose in court. They never win. They're like 0-15. So every time something happens, somebody takes them to court. Every time they make a ruling, somebody takes them to court, and it gets thrown out. You need a commissioner. You need structure. You need organization that everybody can get behind. And right now, frankly, it ain't there in either sport. And it's going to have to be as the NCAA tournament expands and as college football expands and college football becomes more and more a two-league freaking uh, world. Well, I have an idea. I'm going to throw it out there to end the show. I think we see the first ever brother duo acting as commissioners uh, for the NCAA college basketball realm because, Dan, with your expertise in the field, your sports knowledge, your experience, coupled with your brother's legal expertise, talk about the NCAA never wins in court. I don't know. Yeah. This could be a power couple in terms of a commissioner. So I'm going to throw uh, the Dockage brothers' names in the hat for... Uh, an idea for a commissioner. I don't know if you're okay with that, but I'm, I'm going to go forth with, with my plan. Well, Goodell makes $44 million a year as a commissioner of the NFL. There's more teams in college sports. I'd be happy to split yeah. it with my brother. We'll go $22 million apiece. I'll take the job tomorrow. I'll change my clothes, put a suit and tie on. And you know what? <laughs> I'm in, Charlie. I'm in. And I'm, and I'm going to take a little <laughs> bit of commission because I feel oh, like without you get without 10%. Me, 10% agents fees. Okay, perfect. Well, Dan, uh, this is a plan. I hope this happens. And then uh, I'm a few million dollars richer uh, when we speak next. This sounds great. And I hope that the red carpet is rolled out for me when I touch down in Indianapolis oh, next yeah. week. So I'll let you know how that goes. But as always, thank you so much for coming on. You have a big couple of hours coming up on Don't At Me with Dan Dockich hitting the Outkick Airwaves 9 to 11, Monday through Friday. So Dan... Thank you, thank you, my friend, and we'll see you soon. I look like a human thumb. I hate the way I look. I'm going to go get a toupee. I'll see you later. Outkick the Morning will be right back after a short break. Stay tuned. 
What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie, your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer with over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros. Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back and their pros are locally based, often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. Angie makes the process seamless from researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience. Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. Oh, a human thumb. Uh, love it. Uh, Dan's always a, we'll just call him a blessing. He's always a blessing to have on the show. Uh, everybody, thank you so much for being here. Hope you had fun. That was an interesting conversation. We went here, we went here, we went here. But that's how it goes when you get me and Dan Dockage on the same well, I was going to say in the same room, but on the same Zoom channel. Uh, we'll leave it at that. Everyone, make sure you're following me on social media at Charlie on TV. And I will see all of you tomorrow for another episode. Have a good one.